I'm going to talk about imitating God again today. Is that all right? I feel good about this. um, We had a great first service. Why don't you stand? We're going to read. We're going to read two stories, all right? And and when I wrote all this down, it made sense. And I asked Pastor Adam, he said it made sense. So if it doesn't make sense, blame him. Because he kind of checked it for me. Uh, I usually don't take two different stories and try to work work at them at the same time but I felt like they both presented the same same train of thought so so we're going to do this we're going to try this today I think it's going to work out John chapter 11 verse starting in verse 1 this is the story of Lazarus many of you may know this story uh, Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus and he gets sick and Jesus doesn't go to him right away so and he ends up dying Jesus raises him from the dead so let's start reading it Chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her, her sister Martha. This Mary, uh, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who pour, poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So this is same Mary that you saw earlier um, anoint Jesus. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not result in death. No, it is for God's glory so that the God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Somebody said, that's a heck of a way to show you love them. They're sick. Why don't you come? Ah, I will in two days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now, what you have to understand about that statement is they tried to kill him in Judea. So in the following portions of, uh, in the following verses pertaining to this story, the disciples look at him and go, why are we going to go back there? They tried to kill you. And he said, listen, we got to do this. And uh, Thomas, who we later on see, they call him Doubting Thomas, but I don't think he really is. Uh, Thomas says, well, let's go and we can all die. Optimism at work. So the story keeps going. Jesus ends up getting to Lazarus's tomb. He's been dead four days. And they say, Lord, his body already stinks. I don't know what you're going to do. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. He comes out. He's still got the grave clothes on him. Jesus says, there's your miracle. Now clean him up. And, uh, and an amazing thing happened. Luke chapter 8 talks about a sick girl and a sick woman, all in the same story. So now we're going to go to a different story. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40. When Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Isn't it a good thing when you come expecting God? They were all expecting him. Then a man named uh, Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. So then I skipped down to verse 49 while Jesus was still speaking. Someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. He said, don't bother to teach her anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James. And the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her, for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. 
knowing that she was dead. Father, we thank you. Lord, that you have the last say in every situation we will ever face. God, your word, your word is final. Not ours, not our opinions, not our, not our analysis of the situation, God, but your word is final. And we pray today that we'd be better imitators of God, that we would be more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Go around, turn around, tell somebody, are you calm or do you freak out about everything? Ask them right now. Are you calm or do you freak out about everything? Are you calm or do you freak out about everything? I've asked this question. All right, now don't argue with them. Like, you're not calm, you're crazy. I've asked this question. I think this is a really important question. Um. I am by nature a calm person. I don't typically get worked up about things. I've been saying a lot, you can ask my wife a lot here lately, like, it is what it is. Like, what am I going to do about it? I'm going to go to sleep. I mean, not like in the middle of the day, but, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to go to sleep. Uh, when, I, when I take trips to Africa, they just throw their hands up. They go, this is Africa. I'm like, you got that right. It's crazy. Because um, the unexpected happens. Doesn't the unexpected happen in life? Thought everything was going fine. We walked in this morning. Actually, Sam texted me very early in the morning. He gets here before anyone else. Pastor Sam came up on stage, and there was a lot of water dripping right out of this place right here. And um, so I'm starting to believe that if we have a holiday, the building needs work on it. That's how God's telling us, like, you got to keep the maintenance up, and the holiday is the day we're going to, you know... The same thing happened the night before Easter. I don't flip out about it. I just go, okay, we'll figure out what's going on. But some of you, some of you, the sky has fallen so many times that I don't think it's still up in the air. Some of you freak out about everything, don't you? Don't look around. I don't want any indications of who that person is. Some of you are like, yeah, it's you. Remember, it's Mother's Day. One of the things that I realized when you watch the life of Christ is that that he never rushed anywhere. He he was never in a hurry. He never looked at the disciples and went, hurry up, we got to get there, come on. He never fretted about anything, worried about it. He just didn't. You didn't see. I believe Jesus had perfect fingernails because I don't think he chewed them. I, I don't, he didn't fret about things. He was not anxious, worrisome. He was, he was not upset about circumstances. He didn't hurry along no matter how many people tried to drag him in a certain direction. He knew where he was going, when he had to be there. I believe he had a decent pace about him. By the way, I like to walk fast. People that walk fast live longer. It's proven. So if, if somebody besides you walk slow, you better, you better pick it up a little bit. I believe he, I don't think he was lazy. I believe he walked at a good pace and he made things happen, but you didn't see him frantically rushing around. In both of these stories, I think we have a lot to learn about the initial response of Christ to these 
the initial response. Both of these situations were critical situations. They were life and death situations. They were, they were situations where we would be in a hurry. We would be frantic, flipping out, upset, and with reason. Because the fact of the matter is that you're not God. Look at the person sitting beside you and say, I'm thanking God for that. <laughs> but God doesn't get in a hurry because God is God. And God doesn't have to be in a hurry because even if people are dead, God can raise them. Even if people are deathly sick, God can heal them. Even if you've been broke for so long that you don't even realize what broke means anymore, God can provide for you because he's God. And so God's initial response to circumstances in our lives are immensely different from ours because God doesn't get excited because he's everywhere, all-powerful, all-knowing, all the time. And so he doesn't have to get excited about it because he knows how it's going to end and he's okay with the end because the end glorifies him every time. But the problem with us is, is we don't have that intimate knowledge of the events in our lives or how they're going to turn out or the power to affect them in that way so we, in turn, do the human thing, right? Ah! Now, Here's something else I don't think God is, and this is a problem that we typically, all of us have. We are all people that I like to call Captain Obvious. Don't you love people like that? You're in the middle of a situation, you're right in the middle of working out, and they're like, man, that's broke. Just look at them like, are you stupid? I've been here two days trying to fix this thing. You just, what thing looks broke? Captain Obvious. Man, you look sick. No kidding. You feel all right? No. <laughs> but we do that, don't we? We like to point out the obvious. And what I've realized about God is he never does that. You're never praying and God goes, ooh, you look terrible today. You're never praying and God goes, you're in worse shape than anybody I've actually ever had pray to me. God doesn't say that. You don't, you don't hear that, do you? You don't get up from your knees and go, I'm the poorest person God has ever dealt with. I'm the sickest person God has ever dealt with. I'm deader than anybody has ever been. And God just confirmed that to me. He was just like, you're awful. And I started thinking about why does, it, why does God... God doesn't respond that way. But we do. We get into a situation and we go, to the God who knows our need before we even ask it, we go, God, I'm broke. And he's like, I knew you were going broke before you were broke. I'm God, I saw it coming. We're like, God, I'm really sick. He's like, I... We should give him a little credit for knowing what's going to happen. He wrote, wrote Revelations, right? Like the beginning from the end, the Alpha Omega, beginning from the end. You know, he knows what's happening after we're all gone. And yet, our initial response to our circumstances is, God, let me point out the obvious to you. This is not going well. Now, the trouble with your initial response is it will dictate your response going forward a lot of times. So if, if you're the type of person that freaks out at the beginning... 
nine times out of ten, you will be losing sleep until the thing's resolved. Right? Unless you got some pills that help, but I don't recommend that necessarily. Like, I'm freaking out. Just whoa, 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 whoa. That's not good. But you notice people, I would like to include myself in this group, but it's not because I'm imitating God, it's because I'm just not very smart. I don't freak out about a lot of things because I'm just like, what am I going to do about it? I can't stop that thing from leaking no more. We did stop it from leaking, but what, I mean, I can't go back and change it. So I'm just like, people hate me because of that. So what happens is, because I don't freak out at the beginning, I'm less likely to freak out the next day when I get the bill. <laughs> right? Because I'm like, hey, that stupid thing leaked. We're going to have to deal with it. I got sick. I'm going to have to deal with it. It is what it is. This life is fading. It's passing. It's not meant to be permanent. There's things that are going to come into it, and I understand that. And, and, and I, I'm just... But I still find myself looking at God going, I'm not sure you saw that coming. I I hate to be Captain Obvious here, but I need to point out something to you. This is not working. Do something. And God, in his sovereign way, doesn't join in in my anxiety. Matter of fact, it seems like like in some moments he can... Withdraw from my anxiety a little bit. Anybody ever experienced that? He's like, I need you to calm down and realize that I am God. And our initial response to things that are happening in our lives will dictate the path we take through the middle of it. And so God is saying, listen, I'm the God that caused things. Paul wrote to the Romans and he made this very specific statement. Romans chapter 4. They put it up on the screen for you. He said, he's the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. So the reason why God doesn't flip out of your situation is because the answer is in him. The answer is him. He has the capability to do above and beyond all we could ever ask or think. And so he never gets, he never gets anxious about it because at the, at a spoken word, he made the stars pop into the heavens. He separated the heavens from the earth. He, he created all the plants and animals. And, and so when we come to him and say, Lord, I need you more than ever before, he's, he never goes, I'm not sure I can do it. He goes, I got this. I'm God. I'm sovereign. I'm all powerful. I'm, I'm, I'm everything you need all the time. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Uh, I'll be with you till the end of the, of the age. I'll be, I, I am here for you working on your behalf every second of the day. And what we see in both of these circumstances is that Jesus never freaked out. They come to him and said, Jesus, the one you love, Lazarus, is sick. And he's like, it's not going to end the way you think it's going to end. And, uh, okay. Okay. The girl But the issue, the the dad frantically comes to him pleading. It says he drops down to his knees pleading. And Jesus is like, all right, let's go to your house. Not flippantly, but also not anxiously either. He just started making his way to the man's house. So I want to challenge you. I'd like to think as a church we could get away from Captain Obvious. 
I'd like to think we could get away from just stating the obvious facts of the situation and begin to implement a a little bit of faith like like Jesus did. See, Jesus, as soon as he heard of Lazarus' sickness, he makes a statement, this will not end in death. And I wonder sometimes if I've wasted time stating the obvious instead of making statements of faith. You ever done that? Now, we're going to get into later why you don't make so many statements of faith, and it's a real issue. But Jesus immediately is not going to end in death. When he goes to the little girl's house, he says, she's not dead, she's asleep. And you say, yeah, but I don't know that. But you know the God who does know that. See, that's where, it's, that's where it's different for you than anyone else that doesn't know God. Because you get, they'll say, well, you don't know that that's really a fact. I know the God who makes it a fact. Right? I know the God that nothing's too, nothing's impossible for him. That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means I can believe in the most difficult of situations that God is absolutely in control. And he's going to work out for his glory and my benefit. Amen? So instead of stating the obvious, Lord, I'm sick. Why don't we... Why don't we imitate God by doing what Jesus did and say, Lord, you are, the, you are the one that can heal the sick. Oh, that'd be revolutionary, wouldn't it? It would change our lives. I'm telling you, it really would. I'm not talking about just a positive confession. I'm not talking about walking around going, I'm going to get better. 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 That might work for like two days. But then when you're still sick, you're going to get tired of saying, I'm going to get better. Here's the issue. I'm not just making a positive confession. I'm uniting myself with the God of all the universe. That's different. That's not walking around hoping and and wishing that you saying something out loud is going to conjure up some crazy thing. That's the God that was dead and now is alive, who's redeemed me and forgiven the sins of all mankind. If I only believe on him, I will inherit eternal life. The God who spoke who breathed life into humans and gave us breath and gave us purpose, the God who can do the absolute impossible, I'm uniting myself with him, and I'm not, I'm not admitting defeat, I'm not being crazy, I'm just saying, I believe he is who he says he is. And so when the thing comes on me, I can say, well, you already know the obvious, so now instead of wasting my breath saying, God, I'm sick, I'm going to... Use it wisely and go, God, you're the one that heals the sick, period. You're the one that raises the dead. You're the, ones that provi- you're the one that provides through your riches and glory, not according to my circumstances. How many times do we need to hear that? It's not according to your circumstances or the size of your bank account or the friends you know or, the, or your ability to make an income. He provides according to his riches and glory. He can make money come out of nowhere. I wish he'd plant that tree in my backyard sometimes, but he can do it. Amen? So instead of stating the obvious, Lord, I'm broke, I can't pay my bills. You're the one that provides according to your riches. And so my circumstance do not determine how much you can provide for me. That's what Jesus does both times. She's not dead, she's asleep. He's sick, but it's not going to end this way. And come on, if you were me, if if, if all of us were sitting there, we'd be like, "Mm." you see, back then they didn't have, 
you know, you weren't calling 911 and getting a stretcher and taking them to somebody that you were pretty much more confident than you are of God that could fix them. There was no options. They're sick. They're dying. We got no options. And now this guy's telling us it's not going to happen. So do a polite thing. You're like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> There's Jesus saying something crazy again. The initial response dictates the rest of it. Now watch this. Here's why the initial response is so important. Because there's always an interruption. There's always an interruption. You think, I got to Jesus. I'm going to tell him. I'm going to tell him. The, the one you love is sick. And you, you got to come. And then you find out that he didn't come. He waited two more days. Jesus, the one that loves us. Jesus, the ones we hang out with. Jesus, the one that... Imagine Mary, I poured perfume on that man's feet and washed him with my, and he ain't even coming to my brother's house. When the interruption comes, we start replaying our faithfulness, don't we? I didn't give that to the first service, I'll just give that to you. When the interruption comes, we start replaying our faithfulness and how we we deserve God to move on our behalf instead of just concentrating on his faithfulness and out of his grace and mercy why he would do it for somebody that sins like me. You see, that's two different. One is coming out of, of a prideful situation. The other is coming out of humility. God, I deserve nothing that your hand could move on my behalf. I don't deserve a dime. God, but in your grace and mercy, you chose to save me and gave me eternal life, and I believe you'll continue to move on my behalf because of that, because you're the gracious God who does not give me what I deserve, but will move on my behalf and do the impossible. You're telling me you never stood over your kid like this and went, I'm not going to do it today. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to show you what it looks like right now, kid. You better take it while you can get it. Here's the issue. The interruption comes. Jesus doesn't leave for two days and Lazarus is situation and then the young 12 year old girl who is dying as the man is coming and begging jesus she's dying an older woman who has been suffering for 12 years steps in and breaks jesus's stride now i don't know about you but if i need some from god i hate people getting in the way don't you you better get out of my way jesus is coming to me not you and so we forget about God being able to do everything all the time. At the same time, we're like, he's focused on me. Don't break his attention. So I come to a prayer meeting and you got something you want to pray about. You need everybody to pray for this. Somebody, else. well, I've got a little sore on my foot. That ain't, that ain't worth even bringing up right now. You got to focus on me. My problem is bigger than your problem every time. Can you imagine? A man whose daughter is dying as he speaks. He is begging Jesus to come with him. There's a huge crowd of people pressing on. And you realize that you get Jesus' attention. And he's now moving towards your direction. And the joy and happiness and relief you're getting. Just for somebody else to step in the way and cause an interruption. If you start out in chaos, when the interruption comes, it'll just fuel the fire. If you start out in anxiety, when the interruption comes, it'll just fuel the fire. I knew he wasn't going to fix it. I knew he wasn't. I knew he wasn't listening. I knew he's not capable. So this woman with the issue of blood 
comes up. She'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years, spent all her money trying to figure out. The doctors couldn't figure out what it was. They basically just let her go. And now, now she's pressed into Jesus. The Bible says she touches the hem of his garment, which is down around his feet. And Jesus stops and he says, hey, somebody just touched me. And the disciples are looking at him like, everybody's bumping up against you, man. I don't know what you're talking about. He said, no, 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 no. This is different. Somebody with faith just touched me. We got to figure out what's going on. And the woman reveals herself. Could you imagine the fear that she had at that moment? And Jesus lets her know that her faith has healed her. And then he didn't run. He didn't say, listen, I'm sorry, that interruption. He didn't even apologize for it. He just, it was an interruption. Matter of fact, there was an interruption It happened so long, and in the same way with Lazarus, Jesus waited so long that both people died. And I don't know about you, but that's as bad as it can get. And some of you have been in that situation where you think, this can't get any worse. This can't. It's just as bad as it can get. And so so when when we start off with the wrong idea of what God is capable of, and we start off in anxiety and confusion and all those things. Then we get to an interruption in the middle of it. It just fuels the fire. And when Jesus is calm the whole time, and after two days he says, let's go to Judea. And when the little girl is finally dead and he's done dealing with the woman with the issue of blood, the Bible says while he was still talking, one of Jairus' servants came up to him and said, hey man, don't bug him anymore. She's dead. Don't bug him anymore. Now that that paints a picture for me that the whole time he's dealing with this other woman, Jairus is there going, come on, come on, you can't, you can't stop, man. She's dead. She's back here. It's not good. You got to come on, come on, come on, come on. His servant comes, taps on the shoulder, don't bug him anymore. She's dead. Jesus looks at him and says, don't worry. Just believe it's going to be okay. He doesn't take off running. He doesn't say, What? He just says, it's going to be all right. It's going to be fine. And I don't know about you, but I'm learning to deal with the interruptions a little better in my life. Like I'm learning, I'm learning. I had to sit in front of a counselor one time for him to say, Chris, this interruption for you, this interruption for you does not negate God saying he was going to fix it. See, what happened, what's happened in my life is I had, like, there was, there's been situations where there's dreams and, like, man, God's answered prayer and it's awesome. Woohoo! We're going to conquer the world and everybody's going to want to be like the Joneses. <laughs> Always trying to keep up. So let's keep out in front. Come on, we're going to do this, baby. We'll make it happen. Make it happen. And then the interruption comes. We don't know what to do with it. How did this even happen? And sometimes you have to be brought back. Sometimes Jesus has to look you in the face and say, hey, listen, calm down. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. Just have faith. Everything's going to work out. And I had to have a guy sit in front of me one time and go, Chris, has God been faithful? And I'm like, was this a trick question? Talk about being faithful. This ain't the way it was supposed to work out. And he's like, yeah, but just because there's an interruption in your life now doesn't mean that God didn't do what he did back then. Because interruptions will make you question whether God can actually do what he said he would do. That'll, that's where you start questioning things, right? You have the interruption in your life and you go, 
whoa, I'm not real sure God's all powerful anymore. Like I was all excited when he, it seemed like he started turning my way. I was all excited when he, it looked like he was following me to my house. I was all excited when he had not, when I told him, when I told him, listen, the one you love is sick. I was all excited when he acknowledged it and, and acted like he was going to do something about it and said it wasn't going to result in death. But then when he did nothing, he stopped for this other woman. He didn't start walking towards us. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't come to Lazarus. He, he let somebody else, come on, you've got to keep moving on my back. I don't understand why it feels like you're doing nothing. The interruption is the part that tests our real faith. And so I'm telling you, it's so important to get the response down at the beginning to say, God, you're the God who heals. You're the God that provides. You're the God that restores. You're the God that keeps. You're the God that brings the prodigal son back. You're the God that does all these things. And then when the interruption comes, you don't state the obvious. You keep going right back to that. Lord, I know you stopped to heal this woman. I still believe you can heal my daughter. An interruption is not going to... That interruption is not going to stop me. There might be a little chink in the armor now, but the armor is still staying. It's still up. I still believe. I still have faith. You are the God that works on your timeline. Man, do I ever need to hear that sometimes. And listen, let me say this to the last point. Here's something. Remember, remember, I told you a lot of times at the beginning we don't we don't we don't speak out in faith. You know, we state the obvious. And here's why I believe that happens. And I think we can all get over. Can we have a little counseling session today? You want to lean in? I'm Chris. I don't say things in faith very much. Glad to be here. Here's why. Watch this. Jesus walks up to Lazarus's tomb. Everybody's weeping and wailing. And none of them believe anything good's going to come of it. None of them. Can you imagine walking into a situation where you already know everybody is 100% negative, nothing good's going to come out of this? Imagine walking into a situation like the proclaiming faith. I don't know about you, but I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. That's dangerous territory, right? When everybody has already resigned to the idea that God can do nothing, you coming in and saying he can is not comforting. Is it? In your life, when everybody's already given up, like, well, they're sick, it's over, and you stand up and you go, I believe God can heal. They're like, oh, it's gotten to their brain, they're crazy. Right? We are immensely worried about what other people think. Now watch this. In the case of the little girl, Jesus walks up to the house Everybody's weeping and wailing as they should have been. She was dead. Jesus walks up to the house and he, he, he says, I only want Peter, James, and John to go in with me with the parents. I don't, I don't want any of these other people walking in with me. So he looks back at him as he's going in. He says, stop it. Stop crying. <laughs> Could you imagine? Well, he's got some nerve. He says, stop crying. She's not dead. She's asleep. And this is fascinating to me how people can switch that quick. They go from weeping and wailing to laughing. Because he sounded crazy. Right? See, this is where it gets us. This is what makes us afraid. 
It sounded crazy and everybody laughed. And I don't know about you, but I never want to be the guy everybody laughs at. I never want to be that guy. I never, unless it's a joke and then I want everybody to laugh. But I never want, I never want an expression of my faith to be the, to be the funny part of somebody else's life. So he goes to walk in. They're all weeping and wailing and mourning. And he looks back at him. He says, hey, you need to cut that out. She's not dead. She's asleep. Well, I'm pretty sure by that time they had done the whatever vital checks to make sure she was dead. They were out there. We've, no, and they started laughing at him because what he said made no sense whatsoever. Jesus understood one thing, that God the Father was going to glorify him, not the people around him. You see, we get that so confused because I don't know about you, but I want to be everybody's American Idol, right? Don't you? Don't you want everybody to approve of your life and what you do? You want, you want people to clap for you? You want people to say, man, they're smart. They got it going on. They want, because we are so concerned with people glorifying us. That, we, we're so concerned about people clapping for us. We're so concerned about people going, that's a really smart guy. He knows what he's doing. We're so concerned. We don't want to look like we're out on the fringe of believing the God of all the universe could actually do something crazy. And so, so I'm probably a lot like you where I'll think it in my head, God, you, you are more than capable to do this, but I'm not sure I want to say it out loud because it's going to sound crazy to them and they may laugh at me. Or they may do the polite, oh, oh. But either way, I don't want to look crazy in front of people. Come on, we've all seen them on TV, right? I don't want to look like that. I used to tease that I would put my ring on my pinky, preach like this. We just don't want to look crazy. And I get it. But in a world that is hell-bent on avoiding God if you say you believe in Jesus Christ Savior who died on the cross and rose again you've already entered into crazy territory you're already nuts some of you probably this week have had people ask why do you go down to that church why do you do that why, why won't you act like you did before you're just you're just resigned to the fact you're already crazy that, that helps a lot in getting over the fear. Jesus, Jesus' response to them was absolutely nothing. Laugh if you want. I'm going in here and heal this girl. Now, if I was Jesus at the moment, I'd have let lightning fall out of my fingertips and I'd have just... Whoop, but thank God he's gracious. I would have drugged that girl out and said, what now? She's alive and walking, dummy. You know, I'd have been like in their face a little bit, laughing at me. I'll show you something. I'll show you what the deal is. Jesus was glorified by the Father. He knew. He knew that the same people that would clap for him one moment would kill him the next. And so he wasn't fickled in who he received glory from. He didn't need the claps and applause of people. 
And so his faith wasn't based on whether the people around him agreed with him or were okay with it or believed like he did. His faith was in the fact that God Almighty could do the impossible. And what I'm telling you this morning is as a church, we have to be comfortable with the idea that speaking faith out loud, calling things that are not as though they were, doesn't make a lot of sense to the people around you. And there may be a chuckle in the office room, in the, in the office one day when you go in and they say, man, you're sick. And you go, no, but I believe the God of all creation can heal me. They may go, ha ha, at the coffee station. But you have to be okay with that. Because the fact of the matter is, is that God can heal you. So the crazy person isn't you. Stand to your feet. Three easy steps. Watch this. Don't you love it when it boils down to three easy steps you can repeat over and over and over? Number one, stop freaking out. The initial response is that God is able. God is able. God is able. God is able. Get the initial response right. I will, he, I, will, I will say in faith what I'm believing right now. I will call things that are not as though they were. I will believe that God is capable. Step one, stop freaking out. Believe that God is capable. Step two, there is always an interruption. It's going to come. It's never going to just go smooth. There's always interruption. There's always somebody stepping in the way. There's always somebody in the way it seems like. Are you getting what you need? Just be okay with it. God is perfect in his timing. And God is not flipping out. And step three, stop being afraid of being a little weird. Stop being afraid of people laughing. God glorifies you, not the people around you. God makes you who you are, not the opinion of others. And so if it means that you have to step out and say, he is capable to do above and beyond all I could ever ask or imagine, and that sounds funny to your family, just be okay with that. Because he is. Three steps. Three steps. Can you repeat those? Can you go out this week and repeat them? I believe that we could revolutionize our lives repeating those steps. That we can speak faith that other people will see it working in us. Amen? Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, there's actually circumstances right now in this room and dear friends of ours right now that we will do this. Lord, come on, if you're in a circumstance right now, I'm asking you to start calling it out. God, you are more than able and more than capable, and I believe you're willing to heal, to do the impossible. God, we're not just saying this because it's pretty. We're saying this because you are God. We're saying this because you are alive. You died and rose again, and the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, quickens our mortal bodies, and we believe that you are moving on our behalf. You're healing in the name of Jesus right now. You said whatever we ask in your name, according to your will, you would give us, Lord. So we pray that way. We believe that you're able. We believe that you're God. Do the impossible in our midst. Bring them back, Lord. Heal, restore, provide. Do the impossible. And we will glorify your name because of it. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, church. Give him honor and glory this morning.